Hello, and welcome to Network Collective. Today, we're going to be talking about white box networking. If you've heard the buzz about white box networks and have questions, we've got the show for you. We have some talented and entertaining guests to enlighten us on this emerging network technology. Joining us today to talk about white box networking is Pete Lumbus. Pete, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, thanks, y'all. I'm Pete Lumbus from Cumulus Networks. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at PeteCCDE. All right. And Kevin Myers, a returning guest. Hi, my name is uh, Kevin Myers. I'm a network architect and co-founder of IP Architects, which is a firm that uh, deals with uh, design and implementation for white box networks. You can find me on uh, Twitter at stubberry 51 uh, or on my company website at www.iparchitects.com. All right, guys, let's get started. So first, let's uh, define our terms a little bit. What is white box networking? What is white box? Well, I guess I'll take that one, Yvonne. So I would say we deal with this a lot. And the interesting thing about defining white box is it's a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And I think the most mainstream answer is that you know, it's often associated with ONI, the ONI movement, the open network integration environment of white box switches and operating systems like uh, Cumulus Linux and IP Infusion and Big Switch. But to me, it goes a little bit deeper than that because white box is essentially at its core. Um, you're taking a, you know, a switch or maybe, maybe even a router that is on some kind of commodity hardware that normally is going to have an operating system preloaded on it. So, you know, before we digress into, you know, bare metal and bright box and things like that, that to me is is what white box is. It's a, um, you know, kind of this um, commodity hardware that is not a mainstream major networking vendor um, that has an operating system that may or may not be from the, uh, the vendor loaded onto it. That's, that's probably the simplest definition of white box. Right. So we, I mean, we had a show around disaggregation, right? I mean, like just not too long ago. And so looking at the disaggregation picture, uh, picture, right. Uh, white box, is kind of on the hardware side. Would you agree with that? Like you have two components of disaggregation, you have the software and the hardware, like a, a white box device is gonna be something that might possibly run uh, a separate network operating system or possibly not. So what, what about those boxes that are commodity or maybe not commodity, but come from a non-mainstream vendor, but have their own network operating system? Are those white box? Um. Yeah, to me, they kind of are, but it, it, again, it's, you know, everybody, there you have this mainstream definition of white box. So, you know, in my world, I deal with uh, things like uh, Microtik and Ubiquity and some other vendors that are not known as mainstream vendors like the Cisco's and Junipers of the world, but they do, uh, they do have white box components, you know, and they do use commodity hardware and they do have, um, uh, you know, some elements of that. So I think the, the answer for me is it, it depends and it's, it's a bit of a gray area. Now, when you say commodity hardware, I mean, what are we talking about there? Is that, is that the difference between uh, custom and merchant silicon? Is this x86? Like, what's the, what, what, do you, what helps you define what, you know, commodity hardware is? Yeah, so usually for me, and this is, you know, and, and um, you know, I think Pete could probably have a good take on this too, because, you know, he's working with white box every day on the vendor side, whereas I'm working on the integrator side. But to me, commodity is, uh, you know, you're dealing with a chipset that somebody else has developed, whether it's Mellanox or it's Marvel or it's Broadcom or it's any of those guys, you know, somebody other than a mainstream network vendor has developed, a, you know, a chipset and possibly even the entire board and layout. And you're taking that, you're placing that into somebody else's box, branding it, building an OS for it. Um, and, and to me, that's what commodity is. 
it's you're, 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 you're not dealing with the R and D piece of the hardware. Somebody else has done that. You're taking it and just writing an OS or, or maybe even facilitating somebody else's OS that lets you use that as a viable product. So I think to, to expand on, on what Kevin's saying and uh, even that original definition of white box is saying, you know, it's not just about the design and the chip, but I think there's also a component of what we talked about in that show about disaggregation where also what software can be run on that box. So can I get a piece of a switch from you, a piece of hardware from a manufacturer and do whatever I want with it, put my own software on it or buy something. And I think the lines end up getting blurry because some of the mainstream uh, vendors in networking might have certain products or all of their products they don't design, they don't manufacture and they don't build chips for. And that might not qualify as white box. And on the other side, I think Kevin's already mentioned Microtik, who's not designing or building, but they're not running on custom chipsets or things like that and putting their own software on it. And so that kind of looks like a white box. And I think you end up having the lines blurred on both sides of the conversation. And, and to add even more confusion to this as we've, as we're trying to define it, right. Let's just, let's just muddy the waters even more. We have this concept of bright box, which by the way, I absolutely despise both of these names, white box and bright box. Both, both names are just awful, but it's what people call it, them. So here we are. It's funny you mentioned that Jordan, because nobody in the industry can seem to find good names either. We constantly no, are struggling to find the names for this stuff. I, I can't come up with better names. And so I guess I shouldn't yeah. really complain, but it, it is what it is. So, I mean, with this concept yeah. of bright box, right. And so this is the larger vendors the people that we're used to buying hardware from essentially offering you a disaggregation option, right? Like I know Dell um, has a switch that they will, that they will sell you that you can run their network operating system, or you can run cumulus or big switch or whatever it is you want on top of it. Um, and so, it, I mean, it's a even further muddy the waters, like that's their chipset or it might be Broadcom or whoever, and they're, and they're abstracting it and giving you an API and then off you go, like, you know, and run whatever you want. And so, you know, I, I, I think it's worth taking some time to try to define, right? Because I think that it, clearly when we talk through the rest of the show, white box is a little bit murky. <laughs> like what, what is it? Like it, there's a lot of different components to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even if you look at Dell, right, they're doing one side, which is multiple chipsets under the Dell logo, with multiple operating systems that can be run on top. And on the other side of the enterprise equation, you have HPE, who's just taking an edge core switch and saying, look, you buy it from us, we'll do the RMA, we'll do all of the other HPE services we've always done, but it's an HPE switch running a third party operating, or I'm sorry, an edge core switch running a third party operating system. And so again, you, you have the same definition, right box, being applied to multiple sources of delivery. And I think we're Gartner, I think this is a Gartner term. And I think their, their goal with the term bright box was to say, uh, you know, fortune, fortune 500 technology provider that can do four hour RMA. I think that's really where that came from. Right. And we're going to get to that later about, you know, some of the support structure surrounding, um, some of these things. And, and that makes a difference, right? It's, it's a component of the equation when we talk about it. And we've danced around it a little bit, but explicitly we've not really called out what exactly is the difference between say a white box switch or router or any white box networking gear and our traditional vendors like uh, Cisco, Arista, Juniper. How, how, how will we describe those differences? Well, I mean, uh, uh, go ahead, Kevin. Oh, well, I was just going to say for me, there's, there's a lot of things that it kind of gets into in, um, in, in what makes it different. I think originally 
you know, the race to white box was about cost. Um, and, and I think to some degree it still is depending on what type of network you're building and who you're talking about, because first and foremost, most white box switches tend to be drastically lower than what you're going to pay for, uh, you know, a Cisco switch. Like just, uh, we were, I was looking for a project I've got just earlier and you can get a 32 port 100 gig switch for $9,000. I mean, that is to get that in the land of Cisco or Juniper or something else is there's a major price difference there. Um, but to, 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 I guess, to diverge just from the cost aspect of it, uh, like Pete said, what if I want to take a bare metal switch and I want to code my own OS because I've got something that I want to do and nobody does what it is that I want to do. And so it, to me, it gives you options. That's, it, it gives you options. Whereas, and I think, um, in fact, I'm going to drag Russ White into the bus because he and I had this conversation about white boxes that it allows you to kind of choose your own destiny. You know, you choose your own adventure and networking in that, you know, my path forward in networking can be whatever it is I want it to be. If I have a bare metal switch or I have a white box switch to some degree, because I, I can do what I need to. I can either press my white box NOS vendor to develop the things that I need, or I can write my own OS. And so the lock-in, not only the vendor lock-in that you experience, but the lock-in in, you know, here are the next set of features, here is the path forward to some degree. Um, I think you have more agility in white box. So that's one major difference to me. So I have, a, I have a bit different of a take, and I actually I look at I look at networking as being kind of like a a, a lagging field compared to computing. And so when I say that in in computing, right when when you used to buy servers thirty years ago, you bought this stack, and you bought it from one company, and it included the hardware, the software, the applications, everything. And so I think of like the days of DEC where you buy like a rack, literally the rack is branded as well as the hardware and the software and everything. You buy it all from one person. That's just the way that it works. And so I see white box as being the IBM clone personal computer, right? So you had all these personal computers that were very, you know, uh, custom and made specifically by one vendor and you got everything from them. And it was just a very tight ecosystem. And then, you know, out comes x86 and this idea that anybody um, could build this, IBM clone machine and it would run the same instruction set. Anybody could drop whatever operating system you had. And then we had the freedom of windows and Linux and Mac OS eventually. And so like there's, there's, you know, that to me, I'm seeing networking following that same trend. So we have these big monolithic stacks. This is the Cisco, the Juniper, uh, Arista, and there was somebody else. I forget who E we decided on this and somewhere else, but, <laughs> but, uh, but it was, you know, you, you buy the the switch and the operating system from the same person. It's all enclosed in one box. There's no switching between the two. I can't take that operating system, run it somewhere else. And I can't take that hardware and run a different operating system on it. And so that's, that's the more traditional model. And so that's when you say, what's the difference? White box is the equipment is the hardware that allows us to move to this, you know, X86 clone type model that we saw in the PC world, what, 20 some odd years ago. And I think one of the reasons that we uh, we all dislike that white box uh, moniker, or at least the reason I dislike it, is because I came of age in IT in the 90s when people were building white box PCs and servers in their garages. They would get out their soldering iron and they would put the pieces together and and the the image that that conjures for me is substandard or uh, something that's that's sort of put together with duct tape um, and and I think it's important for us to say that that when we talk about white box uh, networking gear that's not what we're talking about we're talking about solid supportable uh, hardware that that works well that has been engineered it's it you can just run your own operating system on it and if we and if we want to narrow the conversation to switches just to be a little bit more concrete, 
you can look at the vendors who are selling white box, white box switches, Edgecore, Quanta, Penguin Computing. You can look at the vendors who are selling Brightbox, Dell, HP, Mellanox. And I think that, you know, for all of those, they're large, they're huge companies. I mean, Edgecore not only makes switches for Edgecore, but they're, you know, they're manufacturing switches for, for vendors that you're running in your data center, um, you know, as well as making MacBooks and, you know, HP ser blade servers or whatever. These same companies end up doing a lot of the same manufacturing. And then within if the I remember switches, right, Edgecore has their own OS, don't they, Pete? Edgecore, uh, I think, so has I think, their own NOS, if I remember right. So I think Edgecore has their own OS. And then the kind of the common thing you see a lot on, on a lot of these is the Broadcom operating system called ICOS. Um, of yeah. course, it only runs on Broadcom ASICs. So you wouldn't be able to run Broadcom's ICOS on a, on a Mellanox switch with a Mellanox ASIC in it. And so I think to Jordan's point, it is moving in that direction of uh, more towards that x86 arrow, um, but we're not quite there yet. Oh, and no, I no, think, no. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And there's, but there's still some good analogies to be made there. So again, I can look at a, a Cisco Nexus 3000, which is based on Broadcom ASIC. It's from Cisco. I wouldn't call that a white box switch by any means. Although it has, uh, you know, those commodity components, that ends up looking a little bit more like a Mac, which is still based on x86, but it's all kind of closed off and you, in theory, can't run Windows on it um, without, you know, jumping through some hoops. And, and I think it's the same thing in the white box space is, is it more like a Mac where you're getting it from the vendor, even though it's commodity components, or is it more like PC where there are options you can pre-install with Windows, or you can get it without it and kind of run whatever flavor of operating system you want. All right. So let's talk about performance a little bit because we all uh, eat and breathe bits per second. And so what, <laughs> what kind of performances differences are performance? Yeah. Performance differences are there with white box switches? Are there any, is that something to be concerned about? Um, what do we need to think about when we're thinking about switches and performance? I mean, it's one-to-one -one for the most part. Uh, it's the same ASIC. So at the end of the day, the things that's moving the packets in one port and out another is going to be that ASIC. And so if I have a Broadcom ASIC of the same family in an Arista switch or in a Cisco switch or in a, an Edgecore switch, that's going to be the same thing. And I think, you know, even looking at Arista, they, they started this trend because they looked at Cisco and they said, you know, we want to do this. We want to make, an, we want to make a networking company. But you know what? It doesn't need to be that that you know everything doesn't need to be custom but it has to be able to meet the same needs that the cisco switches are fulfilling and so arista did that with all broadcom and you know you're going to take a, an arista and a cisco switch and put them head to head and get the same performance and it's going to be exactly the same for a white box switch with that same chipset no, i mean they really are talking about individual components then you, you have to pay attention just like in your pc you have to pay attention to what your bus speed is what your processor speed is it's exactly the same equation in your white box switch. yeah and that's actually a great point yvonne because i i'll say well, two things from what your statement about performances i put a number of white box networks into production now across uh, various vendors with cumulus edgecore ip infusion microtech just a number of different things and I can't say, like Pete said, I've seen any major difference in performance because so many people are using these chips and these ASICs now that it's not really, a, you know, does the does the Broadcom ASIC stack up to something that Cisco or Juniper is making because everybody's using this stuff now. So I think that's, um, that part is, is definitely there. Um, 
And, um, you know, we, in some cases it even exceeds, I even see some functionality that some of these NOS vendors are developing for things in hardware that you don't see in the mainstream vendors. So I think on the other end of the scale, um, you know, there's some things I see that, Hey, it'd be nice to have had this the last 20 years and you guys are developing new features and new functionality. So there is the other end of the scale that we are seeing new things that, that we don't have. Now, I, I mean, I don't have I don't have data for this. I'm just asking the question. I don't know if it's really true. It feels like it's true, but it, it may not be. Um, and, and the question is, it just seems to me like there are more performance improvement in commodity hardware, at least they seem to come more rapidly, or at least there's maybe more iterative than we find from the major vendors. Is that true? Do you think that's true? Do we think that we're going to see it surpass or are we just seeing more iterative change in smaller increments? I think a lot of it's about competition in the marketplace. And so, you know, Intel's always had this concept of a TikTok cycle, right? Mm -hmm. Faster speeds, more features, faster speeds, more features. And we've never really had that in networking. And I think a lot of that's because everybody designed their own ASICs. And so one, you couldn't really compare them. And two, what's my forcing function besides, you know, a customer just hitting, hitting the, the breaking point and getting frustrated. And now, I mean, I've been amazed over the last three years working in the white box space at how fast the chips are changing, how you're seeing a TikTok cycle start to come out where you're seeing move from 10 to 25, 25 to 100 gig, 100 gig to 200 gig, you know, faster than we moved from 100 meg to one gig. Um, I mean, it used to be five plus years, right? Between major ASIC changes at major vendors, like that's what it took. And now, I mean, yeah. five years is like two generations of chips now. I mean, right. it's effectively on a three-year cycle-ish, um, if not less. And so looking at not only what a vendor like Broadcom is coming out with and how fast that's changing, but looking at what that's doing to the marketplace, I, I think there's been a lot of press around Barefoot and what they're doing. And that's a place where just having the threat of Barefoot and their like advanced telemetry and the things they can do is pushing Broadcom to do things that I don't think they would have done five or eight years ago. Um, and you know, they're not the only, those aren't the only two players in town either. And that, but that also comes back to Yvonne's point that now we as network engineers have to not only look at a label on a switch, but understand what are the implications of it. And we've always kind of done that when we looked at a switching family, so if I'm looking at say Catalyst versus Nexus, or if I'm looking like QFX versus, I don't know what, like the M series in Juniper, but now I have to start looking at what is the Broadcom chip inside? And you see this with an Arista where they have their, their set of deep buffered switches, which is the Broadcom, uh, Jericho, Dune, Coumarin chip line versus their regular, you know, quote unquote shallow buffered switches, which is more of the Trident Tomahawk line. And, and throwing these terms around, we're going to have to start to get to the point where, hey, I know what those implications are. I know what that means. I kind of know the point in network where I would deploy that kind of device. So and I want to jump ahead. Go ahead, Kevin. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, like, and this actually goes back to a point that you made, Yvonne, about the capabilities, because that's something as an integrator we kind of had to deal with to understand, like, the Cumrun chipset is, is, like, more tailored for MPLS and, like, really, you know, advanced features where you're getting into, uh, you know, a lot of advanced things in the IP header versus, like you said, the Trident 2 Plus, where it's a shallow buffer. It's more about speeds and feeds. And so if you're going to enter the white box space, just like you had to understand what the difference between a Catalyst and a Nexus was and where they fit and their capabilities, you, you do still have to deal with that in the white box space and understand that this chipset is is you know better for you know advanced routing the switch set is chipset is better for um you know just you know, you know raw speeds and feeds in the data center 
Well, and uh, I had this, we, we discussed this question and I had it further down in the notes, but I think it's a good time. Uh, and that is why now? Um, why are we seeing all of a sudden this surge of conversation about white box? Um, I, I know some would say, well, people are just fed up with the legacy vendors or they'll say it's, uh, it's, it's uh, a myriad of things. So what, what do we think? What has, what, what, what has converged to make white box the thing right now? I mean, it comes down to the web scale, like the Googles, the, the Facebooks, the Amazons of the world. And, you know, they, they still, everybody loves to say, oh, you know, they're not all white box. That's true. But they're also not all Cisco and Juniper. Um, but what they've seen is they've said, look, I buy, you know, however many thousands of top of rack switches a year. Why am I paying a premium for what is at this volume a commodity, right? Just like companies don't pay, a lot of companies don't pay premium for SFPs because they're a commodity. They're just running at the same scale for switches as you are for SFPs. And so they're, they're going and looking out and saying, how do we solve this problem? I affect, I need the same kind of capabilities out of the Cisco switch for a third the price. And they started looking at that white box ecosystem and looking at the players there. And, you know, there's a market there's These players saw that there was a market and there was money to be made. And that, that effectively grew everything from there. And now if you look at like the Gartner reports or whatever, the, the majority of what's out there is still coming or what's being purchased is still being purchased by those web scale companies. Um, and that's, that's where I think the birth of the industry came from. And we all get to kind of ride, ride in the wake uh, of those volume based cost savings. Yeah, I think that played a big part. I think it's a, you know, one of those like self-feeding machines. As soon as the web scales started needing that commodity hardware, we started seeing the hardware, hardware, uh, you know, third-party uh, silicon manufacturers actually catching up in parity. Um, so that wasn't really an option before that. Like you couldn't go out and buy an ASIC that was comparable to what Cisco was producing because Cisco was, you know, dumping tens of millions of dollars and tons of R and D into these ASICs. And for someone else to come in and say, Hey, let's compete with that guy who has 90% market share and dump the same effort into that same ASIC infrastructure for 10% market share, rather than 90% market share is a huge, huge risk. But when you have the really, really big companies coming to say, Hey, we'll buy it from you if you can produce it. And now, you know, and these are, this is what I need. Well, now you have a guaranteed buyer. It's less of a risk. And so you can produce it. And now once one produces it, we have someone else who can produce it because well, now the market's a bit more open. And so I think that's why we're talking about it now is the fact that it's becoming viable, um, not just for the web scale, but for other people as well. Um, I still don't think it's for everybody, but it is one of those things that, you know, as, as an enterprise, it's not a ridiculous notion to look at a white box option. Yeah. And if you go well, back in time, uh, sorry, if you go back in time five or six years ago, you know, even doing something as simple as like, how do I buy it? Like, I, please, will somebody just take my money? You know, like <laughs> putting an ad on Craigslist. <laughs> like, that's what it felt like. And then, okay, I've got the switch and the fan doesn't work. Okay. I need to RMA it. And you're like, all right, all I have to do is get a contract with a shipping company to put it on its container ship to get it back to Taiwan to do an RMA. Like, I think the, the marketplace hadn't really developed for anybody who doesn't have an incredibly compelling need for this to do it. And that's, that's completely changed, right? I, I mean, even again, talking about Brightbox, like I can call Dell who I've been buying servers from for 20 years. I can get exactly the same kind of switch that's running Amazon's data center. And I now know exactly how to get an RMA on that. 
And I think a lot of credit, and Pete, that's a great point. I think a lot of credit goes to the hardware vendors and the software vendors working well together to create a viable product for the enterprise. Because really, it's like you said, how do I get this? You know, I, I couldn't consume it five years ago. And now, uh, you know, it's not super scary. There is a CLI for most that most people are familiar with. Um, you know, even Cumulus Linux, as heavy as it is on automation, has a CLI that is not terribly hard to learn. I, I've done it um, recently and talked to Pete because we've got a couple customers that are Cumulus uh, based. And so, you know, there's a tack that you can go to for most of the, uh, for the on the software side, for most of the uh, of the white box NOS vendors. And on the hardware side, like you said, you can go, you can do, you know, four hour uh, replacement if you need to. There's, you know, there's hardware support. So, I mean, yeah, it's a little bit different that I have the, the software from one person and I have the hardware from another person, but it's not so difficult that it doesn't, you know, that it makes it so impossible to, uh, to replace a mainstream vendor um, because you have two uh, very solid uh, channels that enterprises and other organizations can leverage uh, to consume it and support it. Yeah, I mean, this is always one of those things that's like come up as one of those like detractors from Whitebox. Now I have to deal with two people. But I, I don't know, it's, it seems kind of hollow to me, uh, mainly because the fact that, you know, you don't, I mean, you don't go to Dell for your Microsoft problems and you don't go to Microsoft for your Dell problems if you're buying Dell servers or, you know, substitute any, you know, vendor on either side of that equation. You go to the person who manufactured it, whatever it was. And so just because we've had this, you know, um, this luxury of being able to go to one person and it's not always been the best solution, right? Like, I mean, you know, big vendor tax it's hit or miss sometimes, right? Like, I mean, like there are some yep. awesome tack experiences and there's some that you kind of wish you didn't have. Um, so it's not like there's like this, this model that's like, oh my word, look at what we're going to miss, right? If we, if we go and have to talk to two different people and I'd rather actually talk to someone who's a bit more focused on what they do um, and be very, very specific. So, you know, if, if I'm running Cumulus, like you know, I call it Pete, Although Pete's not going to take my call. It's going to be someone else who's going to take my call. I'll give you the number. You'll, thanks, Pete. Um, <laughs> right. And talk to somebody like that's all they do is Cumulus Linux, right? Like I'm going to get a more focused support experience. Um, but to be I, realistic about what's going on in the enterprise, uh, I've had this conversation in several enterprise IT departments I've worked in. And that is definitely a main compelling reason to not go to white box. Yep. You want the support system. And, and, and I'm not saying this because I, <clears throat> um, I read between the lines. That was the explicit statement. In fact, the statement I heard, and I can say this almost word for word because of how it struck me, Cisco is our standard. We buy Cisco. That was it. And, and my argument was, well, well, why? Okay, no, that's fair. You, you know, you can make that, that conclusion is completely fine. How did you get to that conclusion? Well, like, why? What's the reasoning for it? And there's very little reasoning. And we all know how it works. The, the reasoning is that I know the Cisco CLI. I'm very comfortable on it. Um, I know tech, the tech number by heart. I don't know the tech number by heart anymore, but there was a time when I did. I didn't have to look on the website, right? Uh, it, well, I, it's, it's, I, still, I still have a tech as a, as a contact on my phone. Sure. sure. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not in the bar space right now, so I, I don't know it the, like I used to, but it's, I could just quickly jump on a call and call them up. And I always had several cases open at the same time. I was very comfortable with that. Um, and so there's an ecosystem that's been built around that. And enterprises aren't paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for, for, for typically, I'm talking about uh, like your run of the mill enterprise, a 5,000 person hospital, you know, um, isn't going to pay for a, a small team of very, very high level networking uh, professionals because they're extremely expensive. So, you know, you can pay 50, 60 grand a year for some mid-level server admins all day long who can, who can throw and operate a Linux OS on a, on a uh, super micro box or do whatever they have to do. It's a little bit, it's, it's still a scary, um, 
uh, that's still a, still a scary scenario in the networking space. So, you know, put, present that to some network engineers who are really, I guess I can consider them more network admins, LAN administrators. That's a very scary proposition. Um, and, and, and so that's one, you know, the, 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 the web scale companies are doing that and they can do that. Will that trickle down, you know, to an extent, but I, I think a more compelling reason for people actually taking it seriously. Yeah. One, one might be cost, but another is programmability, whether you agree that automation network automation is going to be, you know, the, the dominant method for configuring networks in the next five, 10, 15 years, however many years, uh, programmability, um, kind of as a broad term is a, is a very compelling reason to look at that. You know, and, and a lot of white box vendors are are uh, an inroads to doing that today. I I, I also have a, a a question about the cost component. Okay. Um, because I mean, like, and, and I'm with you because I mean, there there is a significant cost when it comes to buying the hardware. Um, but a lot of the network operating systems, especially with the way that people are running white box. So you know, if you buy a white box switch and you buy a network operating system that replicates the industry standard CLI, right? Um, it, what, what's the difference in managing it from that in a Cisco box beyond who you call when you have a problem? And there's really not much of a difference. There's, no, there's, I mean, listen, right, right. operationally for me, putting them out, there's really, it's not, you know, if you've ever moved, it's not that much different than, oh, well, we're going to bring this new vendor in this, you know, uh, you know, we used ASAs and now we're going to use Fortinets and now I have to learn a new CLI. And in some cases it's actually easier than that. I found moving from white box uh, because most of them employ a Cisco type CLI um, or similar to a Cisco type CLI, actually a lot easier than moving from Cisco to Juniper, to be quite honest. It was less of a learning curve for me. Right. But what so often gets ties up, tied up in the conversations is that most people when they talk about white box are also talking about automation of some kind. And right. so, we, and so and it's, uh, the point I want to make is that the cost argument can be made if you're not changing the way you deploy. If you're changing the way you deploy, all of a sudden you do need those more capable engineers, software people, whatever. I mean, more expensive skill sets. And so I think for those organizations that are looking at white box as a path to automation because of the programmability, cost is probably not a great argument. What it is, is rather than spending all of my money on hardware, I'm going to spend some of my money on hardware and I'm going to spend some more or what's left over that all that money I saved, I'm going to spend it on, uh, you know, more talented engineers. I don't think enterprises to really look at it that way that yeah. often. That sounds I, really I, great. I agree. I, with I, you. I agree with you. I'm not saying that people yeah. are making that decision very okay, often. Fair, yeah. what, what I'm saying is that if you, if you go in and talk to an enterprise and say, Hey, you know, you should look at white box, which is the first thing I say is we can't manage them. I think that's a fallacy. Mm -hmm. Right. Because there's a CLI that would look very, very, very familiar on just about network, every network You're operating system. Right. And yep. it's, com it's completely a fear response. Mm -hmm. The other side of that is a support one in which there's been valid concerns about support that's getting better. And then, the, and then the other one will be like, you know, okay, well, you know, cost is the only driver for positive. And then they start looking at the automation piece and now there's no cost savings because I got to buy more expensive, you know, or fund more expensive engineers. Yeah. I think the idea is that white box is either, you know, a cost savings if you stay in your existing model or an enabler to, to bring in. And, and, you know, I'm not saying that people are thinking about it that way. What I'm saying is that is what it is. <laughs> I, I mostly, yeah. I mostly agree with that. And I think that, you know, on the baseline, if we just want to, which means you don't, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you look at CapEx head to head, you're, you're right, right. It can be cheaper for most organizations. It is, but I've also seen that like, as soon as a customer waves around their white box PO in front of, you know, big vendor of choice, that big vendor goes, that's no problem. I'll, I'll like use my switches as a loss leader and make it up mm. on SFPs and True. phones. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, like, oh. don't worry, I will, I will extract the blood out of this stone. Okay, so, so here's, here, here is the ultimate lesson in all of this. Even if you want to stay Cisco, use white box. Just, just have the quote in front of the vendor. I mean, Always like, have a fresh there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the vendor. I mean, and, and so, so I think there's the capex play, but I think the other part where you're touching on opex. I, I mean, I, I definitely disagree that you need highly skilled, like highly technical. Um, you know, I, I've seen pretty much every vertical and organizations of absolutely every size adopt white box in some level. And sure, the the police department in in Kansas is not Amazon sized in needs, but I'm also going to go out on a limb and say that they don't have like Amazon senior architect level of folks. But I think what's, what we're talking about without stating is the partner community. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is where there is, it is an area that's still growing and being developed where, you know, partners, partners work on volume. And I mean that both from a cost, but also from a, like, what do we know? You know, and, you know, I think three, three other folks on this call, either do or work for partners. And, you know, if, if, if that like random firewall case comes in that you saw 10 years ago and that in that case, like, and that company went out of business, you don't remember how it works. You, but if the Cisco Nexus problem comes in with VPC, like you've got this. And I think that's the one place where the volume for those midsize enterprises for that hospital that Phil talked about, you know, that's where it's a challenge. And I think that's where, I mean, Kevin's trying to, carve out a little bit of space yeah just a little bit just a couple things but um but yeah no but well, two I, things on the cost front that i will say is the um so um when you're talking about hardware and cost one of the things we're seeing that's actually pretty interesting is why you know you think about the smart net contract think about where you were with cisco where i've got my four-hour replacement well, why do i even need four-hour replacement if uh, if a switch that does 32 right. ports of 100 gig only costs nine thousand dollars mm-hmm. i'll buy two extras and they'll sit on the data center shelf and i'll swap them in when they fail so that there becomes an opex component to that cost as well when the hardware is so inexpensive that you can just stock your own spares you don't need mm-hmm. a smart net for that to fulfill that role so we're seeing customers opt to actually do that um, especially even in the router space too, uh, in the, you know, some of the, the microtech stuff we do, it's so inexpensive. They'll just keep a whole fleet of spares pre-staged wherever they need them and they don't need smart net. So that cuts a huge OPEX piece up. I agree. Um, and in the SFP, China. yeah. And then the SFP logistics, that was the other, the really interesting thing I learned. I actually went up to, uh, Indiana to go work this summer, to go work on a big white box network up there, um, that they had gotten some funding for. And one of the things that we, we learned was that SFP logistics become vastly simplified when all of the gear in your network, cause we were building a greenfield network all in white box and you don't have to worry about SFP lock-in like at all because everything was white box. So, you know, we were able to say, okay, we're going to have all generic SFPs and I can stock all these types of SFPs and I don't have to worry about who they're compatible with because everything I have is open. So that was kind of an eye opener. And that was a, you know, that was an OPEX piece and a hardware piece that, you know, we didn't think of before we went down that road that I can stock an entire fleet of SFPs. And, and hardware for that matter too. I still think the RMA piece matters to some. And, and the reason why I say that is it's great to sell stock spares, but you know, what if you have pops in 75 different locations? Are you going to stock spares in every single one of them? A lot of the RMA piece is that it's not just four hours to where I sit or where my primary sure. location is. It's four hours to most places in the world. And so being able oh, to say, you know, and, and yeah, that I think is, point. I think that that's where, you know, the, the support organizations and the distribution that, uh, that, the, that the white box vendors are building, it, it's getting closer. 
it's and it's way better than what it used to be, but it's still not quite there. And I think that's why there's still some validity to that argument, depending on what your size and scale are. I mean, if you're if you're centrally located, that argument's awesome. It completely works, right? Like I'll just stock a few spares. I've got two locations. I'll keep half my spares here, half my spares there. Absolutely. Right. Uh, it gets a little bit harder when you're uh, more distributed. And that's exactly where Dell and HP have tried to step in, right? And, and that is the, the quote unquote bright box model to say, hey, look, you like the OpEx or the CapEx or the whatever about white box, and you're really worried about support and RMA and logistics. Guess what? We're basically those two companies, they are logistics companies that sell computers. And they're like, you know what? I can get you a switch from Edge Core in four hours. Just sign here. <laughs> well, and it's, and and it's not an all or nothing. <laughs> well, it's not an all or nothing either, Jordan. I think that's the other thing too, is that if I'm going to build, you know, if I'm going to do this in my data centers where I would otherwise have to go buy a Nexus or go buy something incredibly expensive, you know, I can leave the four hour or 24 hour, whatever I want on my stuff that is at those 70 locations, but say, no, I'm going to pass on the RMA for my data centers, you know, that I only have four of or 10 of or whatever. And just stock I can a stock a spare. So you can, you can mix and match a little bit there. No. And the difference with white box, which is the thing that that um, with your classic vendors where you have this monolithic system, you have to have your smart net contract, not only to get your hardware support, but to get your software support. So right. you can have software support on whatever your network operating system is and still get your patches, still get your upgrades, still get your bug fixes, still get your security um, vulnerabilities fixed um, and, and separate that from having to pay for uh, full on warranties for the hardware. You can solve those problems differently in the place you need to solve them. Because I know a lot of folks maintain SmartNet, not because they need the hardware replaced, they've got hardware lying around all over the place, but they need the upgradeability. And I, I want to rehash a point that we kind of talked about in the disag show, because I think it's important when you talk about this. And that is that when you go white box and specifically disaggregated, you're splitting those purchases and not only splitting them from what I have to pay and how much I need to support um, and what I need to support, but what the expected lifetime is. And so this is something that we don't think about very often, but when you buy, you know, this, this monolithic stack, right, the software and the hardware have the same life. So when I buy the, the catalyst switch, right, the software on it's only as good as long as that is. Now that might have a license for the next version or whatever, but oftentimes the features of the software changes. So we, we, we made, you know, there was a while there that there was no solid replacement for a Catalyst 6500. And uh, the recommended option was to go to Nexus. Well, that's a whole different operating system, right? And now, you know, my whole infrastructure that I've built on this Catalyst model of software, I'm now building on Nexus. Well, guess what? Now there is a suitable replacement. And so now the recommendation is to go back to Catalyst. So all those people who went to Nexus, the next time they do a rip and replace, are going to have to reconvert back to a Catalyst operating system. Um, and I OSXE rather than NXOS, you know, picking specifically on Cisco, but the problem is the same in Juniper and anywhere else. Um, the, when you do disaggregate it and you buy white box and a piece of software, you can build your software model on a decade long scale and you can build your hardware model on a couple year scale. <laughs> right. And so the, because you've separated the two, it gives you this flexibility that doesn't exist when you buy it as one piece. I mean, I just did some work last week with a customer where we were talking about building a software operational model and simulating the whole thing from one gig out of band to 10 gig top of rack to 100 gig chassis spine. So we're talking about simulating four slot chassis spines and they might look at an eight slot chassis 
And the operations between a four slot and eight slot for them is a little different. And those two chassis actually come from completely different manufacturers. But that's where they're saying, you know, the conversation there was about like, let's build an operational model for your software that's completely independent of that white box hardware. But again, I think that's where that that power and we're rehashing a little bit in that disag show, but that's where that power of saying, you know, I can get white box from, I can get a white box Dell Tor because I care a lot about those and I need a four hour RMA and I can get a four slot Celestica white box chassis because that's the thing on the market. And then over here, I actually have a bigger pod. I mean, eight slot edge core chassis. And I don't really care how I glue those things together. Right, because your interaction surface is primarily with the operating system. I mean, the only time you're interacting with the hardware is if I literally have a hardware problem and I have to have it replaced. Like, I mean, when else do you, when else are you monkeying with the hardware other than initial setup and plugging something in? You don't, right? Yeah, you, so, you've made some poor life choices if you are. <laughs> Yvonne, <laughs> Yvonne loves layer one. She just lives there. That's love what she it. does. I love it all the time. No. <laughs> so to Jordan, to build on that too, the, the other thing that you said, and you're absolutely right, but also I can take a piece of hardware and deploy it with two completely different operating systems. So I have my stack of, uh, of hardware. So not also am I putting on different cycles for software and hardware. I also can choose to take that hardware and deploy an entirely different piece of software to solve an entirely different problem. And yet I still have, you know, that stack of hardware to deal with. And then you can manage that software lifecycle differently too. So that's a really good point. Cause your spare could be your router and your access switch and your, it, it, yeah, it is. It, 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 and we're using I mean, it like that. And that's an interesting thing. Russ spoke to that in the disag show because he specifically was like, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think, I don't know if he mentioned who was doing it, but you know, so uh, there are people who are building like whole spine leaves with a single skew, <laughs> right? Yeah. The spine and the leaf is the same physical switch. It's just a different purpose. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So before we close, let's talk about specifically what are some challenges with, uh, with using and implementing a uh, white box networking gear? Fear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fear, fear is that. I mean, I think we talked. To, I think we hit most of the points. But I, you know, the support model still is something that has to be considered. Like you have to, you have to work through. Make sure you're comfortable with that. But, but the reality is, is that you can make deploying a white box switch very, very similar. It does not have to be very, very different than what you're used to, um, depending on network operating system choice. Um, Inter enterprise inertia is real. Um, mm -hmm. yes. You know, and, and I mean, this again kind of touches on what Phil was saying earlier about about something like a hospital where we buy Cisco and that's our standard. I mean, whether or not that organization is going to look at white box, I think it's the same probability to look at Arista and that probability is really close to zero. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, and it's, it's, it's a fair point. Yeah. And, and it's like, there's fear within white box, but I think there's just more fear of change. And here's the weird thing though, those same organizations, cause I've worked in them when I was, when I was with VARS and then as an uh, enterprise engineer, those same organizations fully embrace open, uh, uh, you know, uh, open source across other realms of the infrastructure. Um, they're, they're absolutely into cost savings and looking at being creative and uh, uh, increasing one's skill set in order to, to implement some sort of technology that isn't necessarily, you know, branded with fancy vendor X, uh, completely open to doing that. That is not weird. It's not abnormal. It's not new. I see it every day. I have directives. Um, I, I've heard directives. I've heard customers talk about it. However, when it comes specifically to networking, 
specifically to the network that all flies out the window. So it's completely illogical. We're talking about a human problem here. Because honestly, if I'm changing my access layer, let's talk about just uh, white box switches. If I'm changing my access layer so much that I need, you know, specialized Cisco gear and it's any special features, that's kind of weird. I, I don't do that. My access layer is relatively static except for some moves, ads, changes. Um, so what's the, where's the fear? It's very, very illogical. And I think that's a huge, huge component. Yeah, yeah, we're, you know, I, I've heard, Kevin and I were talking recently about um, some, some, uh, um, some like logical rebuttals to it, right? One was being uh, features and somebody mentioned stacking. And then Kevin said something along the lines of, you know, stacking switches, like everybody does that. It's like trying to buy a car and saying, oh, but I need one with an air conditioner. It does such yeah, a thing exactly. It. Does such a thing? Yeah. Is any vendor going to make something like that? So it's it's kind of silly. So uh, that that's that's my two cents. That it really is a human thing. And and of course, yes, there are those technical components that you guys are going to flesh out now because you're much more adept at that than I. But um, I, I think that is a main driving force behind the the the, the slow and, uh, and and tedious progress that White Box is making. At, at least in the enterprise, you know, I'm going to qualify that. Yeah. At least in the enterprise. Yeah, and that and that's that's actually a good point because in the ISP world, it's like on. Right, exactly. ISPs are absolutely consuming white box and doing everything they can to strip major vendors out of their networks. You know, you take uh, London IX, the second largest transit point in the internet in the world from an IX standpoint is putting in uh, edge core um, into their network. And I think IP infusion because they're, you know, for them, it's the cost per port. They need the same features. They want the same stability, but it's, it's you know, IX is a member-based type thing. So the member fees are what drive the IX and they want to have the same performance, but a lower cost per port. So um, AT&T, AT&T is heavily leveraging NFV and trying to virtualize their network. I think they've got like 30% of their network, you know, running on white box and NFV. So, you know, if you can take people, you know, organizations that can connect, you know, millions or even hundreds of millions of users, I don't think it's that far-fetched, even though we are solving different problems to take and build an enterprise network with those why same do you technologies. Think why do you think there's such a disparity between uh, like service providers and, and enterprise? And when I say enterprise, um, I even mean larger enterprise. I, well, here's what I'll say. So I've worked in a large enterprise and I've also done a lot. I've worked in service providers and yeah. now I consult for both. And I, in my honest opinion, I think service providers embraced complexity a long time ago. And they basically mm. said the network is the product. It is not a cost center. It is the product. And we're going to choose whatever tool that we need to solve that problem, even if it means we have 32 vendors. So what if we have 32 vendors, we have 32 vendors that solve the problem well. And so I think, and that does come with its own problems, but I think that's the reason that I think they long ago got out of this idea of I'm gonna have a single vendor and I'm gonna have a single throat to choke and, and you know, went down that road. So for them, white box is really not anything crazy or scary or that's at least my opinion. And in the yeah. enterprise, the point I was gonna make on uh, you know, why is this a challenge? For me, it's a perception of, it, it's the perception of fear. It's the perception mm. of risk. So you think about your mainstream vendor and, you know, you can sit down at the table with them and say, okay, I need to go do this. What's the next product? And oh, this is the hot new thing. And you trust them because they're your big mainstream vendor and they've been working on this and this is their thing. And oftentimes that product line could be a total failure. It can be a bomb and have all kinds of problems. And so to me, there really is not any more risk, you know, from a statistical standpoint in going into white box 
versus going to the vendor, but the perception of that risk in the organization is the problem we've got to solve. So do you think if that uh, like a real, like a really hard driving, ambitious white box vendor that was pretty darn small had somebody in my area, right? And they were really good. The salesperson was really good at taking out my guys to lunch once a quarter at a decent restaurant that would change the entire paradigm. Oh yeah. Sold. You'd have a white box yeah. everywhere. Yeah. No, no. I say that. To <laughs> dinners. I say that. To dinners for but I, yeah. I absolutely believe that. You know, all of a sudden it's like, Oh, vendors bringing breakfast then. What does that have to do with like the actual technology? Nothing, but I'm going to buy from them. I, so, I, I, I think it's, I think it's less, I, I think it's different than that. I don't think it's just being bribed into making okay. purchases. I see, so, yeah, I, 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 know, I know, but tongue in cheek. I really yeah, was. No, no, but it's what a a, nugget, I, I'm coming with another point here. And, and that is, and that is, I work in a lot of enterprises and most of them are just looking for someone to tell them what to do. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's ultimately what bars. it comes down to. We need right? bars. Right. And so when it comes down to it, it's, it's just, they, they aren't, the technology isn't even the primary thing they're working. They're looking at. They're looking at outsourcing responsibility. They just want someone else to take it and for them to be able to pull in the paycheck and all they have to do is write an email or make a phone call and the thing works. And so thinking about design and thinking about OPEX versus CAPEX and whether or not, I mean, like a lot of these things, you know, this is my cynic hat on, I'm getting very sad, <laughs> but, but I, I think, I, I think, I think this is the, I think this is really the state of the enterprise right now is I, I think that some enterprises have wisened up and re realized the fact that, Hey, the network matters. Um, and that technology matters in their organization and they're trying to make good decisions. Um, but you, you brought up the point about service providers and the fact that they embrace complexity long ago. Um, the reason why is because the network matters and they know that because it literally is yeah. their product. The enterprise, right. the enterprise, even though, uh, you know, all of us can sit here as people who have spent their life working on networks and say, Oh, networks are so important. Go ask CEOs. Mm -hmm. and, and it comes down to it's that existential crisis, right? So web scalers had it first because their business was driving every dime out of every component. And then I think the service providers are having it next because they're running out of ways to, without spending a bunch of money on improving last mile, they've got to figure out how to get more money out of effectively fixed set of resources. And enterprise just doesn't have that existential crisis yet. And they won't. And, I'm seeing, I'm seeing switches that do terabits per second, pushing megabits per second. Yeah. I mean, I mean like, <laughs> but, even, like <laughs> but even to Kevin's, even to Kevin's point though, of, of service providers, like I think they're only a half step ahead of enterprise to be perfectly honest, because I've read service provider RFPs that it's might as well say like rhymes with Misco. <laughs> like, you know, like they're, they're clearly not trying to change how they're operating. They're just like, hey, we were told to do white box. I need a reason to say that we can't do it. Yeah. And then, and then they're like, oh, look, nobody rhymed with Misco. I guess we can't I guess we can't go to white box this time. Yeah. <laughs> oh. All man. right. I really would like to end on a more positive note, but I think this I don't is think you're gonna where get we it. are. <laughs> I'd like to note, I'd like to make note that as soon as we got into discussing enterprise IT, is when everything got super cynical and that's yeah that no, is when it got gloomy no, that's a good point that was no accident <laughs> see kevin uh, kevin lives in the world of service providers he's happy all the time the rest of us happy the rest I, of us have have the super I have enterprise clients <laughs> i get my fair share of uh doom that's and true gloom. I've got, I've got work sometimes uh, yes while he's billing for the hour and saying i'm so glad i don't work at this place anymore <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, All right. On that note, um, I'm going to give my co-hosts a chance to introduce themselves and tell you where you can find them having pronoun trouble. Jordan. 
Uh, sure. Uh, Jordan Martin. I'm at BC Jordo on Twitter. You can find me on my blog, jordanmartin.net. And Phil. Phil Gervasi. You can find me at network underscore Phil. And the blog is networkphil.com. All right. And I am Yvonne Sharp. You can find me on the blog at esharp.net or on Twitter at short. Sh- Jeez. <laughs> at <laughs> Sharp Network. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll see you again soon.